Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday. Welcome to our 10th uh, episode of FinTech Friday. So we are uh, making our way into, uh, into the second uh, decile of our episode. So we have a great and special guest uh, joining us, Steve Ely, who's the founder and CEO of a great company uh, called eCredible. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Brian, thanks, and uh, thanks for letting me be on your 10th uh, show. I appreciate the honor. Yeah, it's uh, I, it's one of those things where I never thought I'd be a uh, podcast host. I still don't think I'm a very good podcast host, but here I am. I've got a show, and uh, thankfully, I have great guests like yourself that that carry the uh, do all the heavy lifting on these things. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, going to be a great conversation. So, as you know, you've you've uh, You've, you've muscled your way through the first nine episodes and listened uh, to, to some of the conversations. I, I'd like to start by asking my guests just to tell our audience uh, in, in your, uh, from your perspective, what the term fintech means. Yeah, so fintech is, is a great term. You know, financial technology is, uh, the, the term itself is pretty, pretty new, but financial technology has been around for a very long time. And I've been lucky to be a part of it for about 30 years. Um, and I think what I like about fintech is that there's so much innovation going on in financial services uh, that companies like ours can be a part of. And it's great to be part of a company that's part of the innovation, um, but it's also great to be a upfront and personal consumer of the innovation. You know, we get to touch the products that we build. Uh, we get to tell our friends and families about it, and it's all relevant to them uh, because we're talking about money at the end of the day. And so anytime you talk about money, people tend to pay attention, some more than others, uh, but money is pretty important yeah. to most people. And so um, that's what I love about FinTech. Uh, we get to talk about what's in your wallet. Yeah. So you and I um, have, have similar paths, not identical, but similar paths in terms of how we got to the world of FinTech startups, right? Um, we both kind of uh, spent time in, in, I'll call it, corporate America or big company America. Um, and I think we we each brought things that we learned along the way to uh, our respective companies. I I love your uh, path to founding uh, eCredible. So maybe just share with our audience kind of what you did for, for the majority of your career and what led you to this place where, where you started eCredible and then what the heck is eCredible? What do you do and how do you help consumers? Sure. Uh, so um, I've been around for, for a while. I started my career a long time ago as a programmer. So I have a, a solid foundation in understanding software and technology and was very involved in a lot of companies that built software and technologies. But probably about 30 years ago now, uh, pivoted into the financial services arena, was very involved with internet banking in its very early days uh, when internet banking was still new and fresh and untested and um, you know, people just wondered, was it really a, a secure and smart thing to do to, to uh, access your bank online? Um, and obviously, we're well past that now. But um, getting involved in financial services at that stage was very, very exciting because it was really the tip of getting to the world of online access uh, for financial services. And so from there, I went on and, and went to work for Equifax, um, one of the big three uh, national credit bureaus that most consumers no, I don't say they know and love because most people don't love credit bureaus. You know, it's one of those things that for right. most people, it's kind of a necessary evil. 
in so many ways. Um, but it's a critical part of our financial ecosystem, trust me. And so um, I had the opportunity to Equifax to not learn, not only learn all about credit from um, every, every perspective, the user's perspective, the bureau's perspective, the lender's perspective, even the government's perspective. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things that go into managing uh, credit data, um, but you know when I was there, I was president of one of the business units of Equifax.com, and so when you run a business like that, you learn an awful lot about e-commerce, about dealing with consumers online, what they like, what they don't like, you know how how you can make the experience better for them, just all those things, um, and I think one of the things that um, that I wanted to do uh, was to do more to help consumers. Uh, in their everyday life of understanding their credit and how to build their credit and how to leverage their credit. And so I left Equifax because I, I felt that I could do that better at a, at a smaller company. And so um, I joined Ecredible. I didn't actually found the company. I came about a year and a half later. Uh -huh. but, but, you know, really kind of shaped the, the direction and future of the company. And so when we originally started out, we actually were trying to build an alternative credit bureau. Um, and um, it was, turned out to be harder than I thought it would be. We spent about five years doing that. Uh, it was really difficult to get scale. And so we pivoted um, a little over five years ago now into the model that we're in today, where today what Incredible does is we work directly with the consumer to help them include additional accounts in their credit reports that help them build better credit scores. And so if you think about who's that important to, it's really important to people that are really new to credit. Think of all the young people, the immigrants, the people that just have no credit history for whatever the reason. Um, getting started building credit in this country tends to be a bit of a catch-22. You know, nobody wants yeah. to give you credit unless you have credit. And so we thought, gosh, if we could, if we could solve for that and figure out how do we help somebody get started building credit without being, you know, in, in, in a credit situation already, that would be a pretty powerful thing to do. And so that's, that's really the, the problem that we solve for is we help consumers um, report accounts they're already paying for but not getting credit for. And so those are things like phone and utility bills. Um, everyone listening to this call, I guarantee you they have a cell phone and they've got a cell phone. <laughs> bill, you know? And so that's the first bill that we can take and say, hey, let's, we'll help you report that to your credit report that's going to help you get your very first credit score. And what we found that was interesting, Brian, was that in working with the credit bureaus and with the scoring companies like FICO and Vantage Score, um, we focused on getting information into the credit report that would actually impact mainstream credit scores. Um, we didn't want to build a yet another alternative credit score. Alternative credit scores are useful um, for a lot of different use cases, but unfortunately it requires the lender uh, to do a lot of testing and analysis and speak with legal and fair lending and compliance and marketing and the regulator. And there's just a lot of hurdles to get over in order to get a new score into the marketplace um, to get any scale. So we said, well, we've tried that. That's really hard to do. What if we could just get the data into the core file that lenders are already using? They wouldn't have to do any new testing. If we could get it there and affects test, uh, credit scores they're already using in production right now, uh, then it would just very nicely slide into the, into the current um, underwriting process that's already in place. And so that, that's what Ecredible does. Um, to be clear though, uh, it's most beneficial, as I said earlier, for people that in the credit industry we call them no-file and thin-file consumers. You know, they either they, they don't have a file at all, and so we're going to help them get their first credit file, first credit report, first credit score, or 
they might be what's called a thin file, and there's just not enough information there to generate a, a really good credit score. So if we can help them add their cell phone, their power bill, their internet bill, their water bill, um, all these bills that a lot of us pay every single month, um, that could help them you know, cross over the credit chasm and, and really start to participate in the mainstream financial ecosystem. So I want to poke a little bit on that because um, I think the average consumer, when they think about those, uh, those bills that you just described, probably falsely assume that they're part of their credit profile, right? Yep. And, and I say um, falsely assume because you and answer this for me. If I, I have a Verizon wireless account, right? If I stop paying that, guess what? It all of a sudden will become part of my credit profile, but only in a negative way. Is that, is that fair to say that the, 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 the those utilities, the, the cell phone bills and other are going to be part of your credit history, but only negatively if you aren't paying and you're giving them, you're giving consumers a piece of technology and a tool to help them actually use them to their benefit, not just as a detriment. Is that, is that kind of a good way to look at it? That, that, that's a great way to look at it. Um, if you think about the, the, the telecom and utility industry, um, well, let's, let's, let's take, let's back up one step before I get there, the credit reporting industry. Um, people think that a lot of people in the credit bureaus are owned by the government and they have all these rules that the government mandates, dictates. They're not, they're, they're commercial enterprises, all publicly held companies. Um, but essentially they play the role of um, aggregating all this information about us for financial obligations that we take on or we're committing to repaying for a, a credit card balance or a car loan, a student loan, a personal loan, or a home loan. All those kinds of payments do show up in your credit report. But what's interesting is that that's all optional. The whole credit reporting industry is an opt-in industry. Nobody is required to report to the credit bureaus. People do it because they want to. Why do they want to? Because if I'm a credit card company and you, I issue you a credit card and you use that card to buy things and now all of a sudden you quit paying me, well, I, the leverage I have over you is I'm going to report that you're not a good payer to the credit bureaus, which is going right. to hurt your credit score. I'm not going to come to your house and repossess the kitchen appliances or the new TV you just bought. Uh, there, there, there's the economics for that just do, don't work. Now, if I give you a car loan and if you don't pay your car, yeah, I'm probably going to hire a Guido to come by and repossess your car. That's, that's kind of common in that industry. And of course, in the home ownership yeah. industry, that's a pretty big asset that if you don't pay for that, I'm sorry, but I am going to foreclose on your loan. Um, but when you think about the unsecured products like credit cards and personal loans and student loans, I just don't have that option. So my option is I'm going to, I'm going to hurt your credit score. Now, if you kind of talk about the utility industry and the, and the phone telecom industry, um, the lever they have over you is you don't pay your bill, they turn the service off. And so most people yeah. they need their phone, they, they need their internet to work, they need their power to work. And so they have an incentive to pay that bill, but they don't really have an incentive to pay it on time. You know, if you pay 60 days late, so what? You get a nasty call from the phone company saying, hey, if you don't pay your bill this month, we're going to turn the phone off. Okay, so you pay your bill this month, but you don't have to pay it, you know, within 30 days like you should. Um, and so right. what, what our value prop is to say to that consumer is, hey, if you are paying your, your phone and utility bills on time, we're going to help you get credit for that. We're going to help you add it to your credit report, which can affect your FICO score and your Vantage score and other types of credit scores. 
Um, so there, there's an upside for you, not just a downside, that if you don't pay it, 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 it doesn't go and affect you this month. It affects you in 90 days when you they, they basically close your account and they send it to collections. Yeah. Now you have a collection notice in your credit report, and trust me, you never want to have a collection notice in your credit report. It will kill your credit score. Um, so you, you talked about the bureaus, and I just want to do a little uh, side trip here, uh, a little bit of history of, of the bureaus, because I've learned this recently. Um, you know, I just assume, well, there's three bureaus for a reason. I don't know what the reason was, but it kind of made sense to me. Help me, help me uh, validate if this is accurate. The three bureaus, so Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, I think there's a fourth official one, but I don't know that they're really mainstream, but the three bureaus um, are geography-based originally. Is that is that true? Yeah, it's, it's very true. Um, you know, um, Experian kind of grew up in the West, TransUnion grew up in Central, and Equifax grew up in the East and Southeast. And so when you think back to the days when um, uh, getting your hands on this data was not digital. It was to some degree manual. In the beginning, it was all manual. Uh, and then in the 70s, it did evolve to um, being stored in computers. <clears throat> Even then, though, getting it to the computer in those days was, you know, somebody generating a tape out of an accounting system, and you had to mail the tape to a credit bureau. If you can imagine that, that was extremely uh, difficult and time-consuming and expensive. But because of the logistics of getting your hands on the data, it naturally was regionally based. Um, when I worked at Equifax, uh, one of the things that shocked me when I first got there, when I learned about their history, they're an old company. They started in 1899 in Atlanta. Um, they started out of um, doing what was called a retail credit, where they were working with department stores and grocers, uh, and they would, they would literally um, go to breakfast every Friday morning and everybody would kind of share a note on saying, oh, you know, Joe's a really good payer. I, I've extended him credit. He pays for his groceries on time. And, you know, Sam, he's not so good. You know, he hasn't paid me in three months. Uh, and so that would tell the other retailer in there, you know, I'm not going to give Sam a line of credit. He, if he's not paying his grocery bill, he's certainly not going to pay my bill. And so that's the way that all started. And then, you know, evolved into getting it into files. And so that's why even today we talk about credit files. They were literally hanging files in folders sitting in buildings that people updated. You know, they would go and just yeah. that update in that file. And so we talk about the concepts of no file, thin file, and thick file. That's what they come from. No file was somebody that didn't have a file on. Thin file, hey, they had a file that was maybe one or two accounts. And thick file was the guy that had a whole bunch of, you know, in information in his file so he could look through a lot of information to understand that. So it kind of evolved through all that. Then in the 70s, it got automated. And then, like I said earlier, when I showed up at Equifax, they had acquired 400 credit bureaus uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I thought, 400, how could you acquire 400 credit bureaus? There, there could possibly couldn't be that many, but there were. There was a little credit bureau in a little city in the middle of nowhere. And so they went around and just acquired every one of those, and they rolled that up into their infrastructure so they could have one big reporting system. And then starting in really the, the 2000s and probably more even around uh, the mid 2000s, 2005, 2010, that's when it kind of tipped over to um, reporting becoming very national in nature. Um, so it used to be if you work for one of the credit bureaus, you could run around to a bank or a lender and say, hey, I've got a really big credit file. I cover more consumers than the other guy does. You should buy credit reports for me. And that was, that was the fight. You know, that was the competitive battle. Um, but today, that's just not true anymore. 
uh, the coverage is pretty similar across most credit bureaus. Where the differences occur is in the reporting of the creditor. So again, credit reporting is optional. Uh, so if I'm Bank of America, I'm going to report to all three bureaus because it's easy for me to do and I'm technically set up that way. But if I'm the corner uh, you know, furniture store that says, hey, we finance furniture, well, that guy, he doesn't have a big technology staff and a big accounting team. He might report to one of the three credit bureaus because that's all they want to do. And so that's where you start to see differences in, in coverage from the credit bureaus. It's just because it's a big opt-in model and some people choose to report right. to all three and some people don't. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, uh, again, I'm more involved and engaged at a closer level today at Finlocker with, with the bureaus and, and uh, with that, that data. And so I'm just learning the history uh, and having you go a little bit deeper, it's, it's fascinating. And I, I suspect that a lot of our audience, um, who mostly, you know, our audience is probably more focused on real estate finance, so mortgage and, and home lending, um, are probably going to, you know, have a little bit of an aha moment too, saying, "Okay, that makes sense." That why there's why there's three, and why Experian is in Southern California, and TU's in Chicago, and and Equifax is is there in Atlanta. So that that geography thing is not a myth. It's uh, it's part of our history and lore. <laughs> that is part of the history, and 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 mortgage is even uh, more unique in in and of itself. You know, because the the loan for a home is such a significant uh, financial transaction. You know, we're talking two, three, four million dollars. Um, you know, to underwrite that, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny over the individual, the credit worthiness, their ability to repay, their debt to income ratio, all those things that those of us that work in the industry kind of take for granted. Um, but that's the reason why today most, uh, you know, uh, home underwriting platforms still require a look at all three bureaus. Um, they just, yeah. the, the cost of getting to all three isn't prohibitive. So it's kind of like we're going to get all three. We want to look at all three reports, all three scores. Most of them kind of take the one in the middle because that's the safe bet. Yeah. But they also use other companies that actually will take and normalize the data from all three credit bureaus and make sure that it's a comprehensive view of the consumer's credit and then come up with one score that works for that. That's not uncommon either. But, you know, there is a trend. Well, I'm not going to call it a trend. It's been a, a trendy conversation for the last five years, and maybe we'll see this come to pass in the next five or 10 years, where more underwriting will rely on just one bureau and one score. Um, I think a lot of mortgage yeah. underwriters would prefer that. It would certainly be easy for them. It's less technology, less analysis, you know, less, less oversight, um, and all that sort of stuff. So that, that's probably coming down the road, um, but there's, we haven't seen a lot of that just yet. Yeah, I think um, the way I think about that is, um, you know, our industry, the mortgage industry is so heavily reliant on the GSEs, right? So Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, FHA, VA, HUD, et cetera. And behind, behind those uh, GSEs is where the, the fun, where the money comes from, right? Through all the securitization. And so at, at its core, um, as an industry, we have to convince the, uh, not the loan underwriters as much as the securitization underwriters that a single you know bureau model is is as good uh, as this this concept of the tri tri merge credit report that we all use today. So I think you're you're probably right. It's probably 
probably not inside of five years, but somewhere between five and 10 years, I think we'll, we'll definitely uh, get to a place where, where um, that happens. And it, be, and it should ultimately benefit the consumer in, in a more efficient, you know, a little bit lower cost um, model there as well. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, go ahead. No, no, go, please go ahead. I was going to say, you know, because we live in the space of um, alternative data, if you want to call it that, alternative credit, um, we pay very close attention to how that information is leveraged by, um, by creditors. And when it comes to home ownership and getting through um, underwriting a home loan, um, you know, it, it goes in cycles. Um, when, there's, um, when there's not a lot of business, and you're willing, you're looking for loans to underwrite and, and help anybody any way you can get into a loan, um, then you're going to have, uh, you're going to probably have a stronger appetite for doing manual underwriting, for leveraging other data that wouldn't normally be part of the, of the, of the core credit report. But in today's world, as you know, uh, prime purchase, mortgage, refi, all that's kind of on fire right now, notwithstanding like a yeah. story. Um, so there, there's a little bit of a less of appetite to do that. But um, I still talk to an awful lot of uh, mortgage brokers and, and, and banking underwriters in particular who are willing to go the extra mile to help that consumer that would benefit from a manual underwriting experience and including additional information like how they pay their rent, how they pay their utilities. Um, and in today's environment, as we all know, uh, there's so much energy being put into helping um, people that you know, have historically struggled to access mainstream financial services, and particularly uh, minorities, people of color, uh, who have not necessarily been dealt a fair hand, you know, helping those people um, get access to more affordable products. And so, you know, one of the things that we're doing at Ecredible that we're very proud of is helping those people um, get a better shake and get better access to affordable uh, loans. And so using alternative data like your rent and your utilities and things of that nature um, can help those people in many ways. Not always. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things right. that go into understanding credit worthiness. Um, but if we can help more people qualify for homes um, that can afford to own a home and be a sustainable homeowner, that, that's an important part of the equation. Um, then we're happy to participate in that. And I think um, I, I love that. As you know, we, we kind of share uh, our companies share a mission in that respect. Um, but it's, you know, for our, our, our listeners, our audience, there is no, you know, magic bullet, silver bullet, you know, quick solution. It, it, there, everything as it relates to credit, whether it's improving credit or building credit takes time, right? And what I love about what you guys are doing is you're giving, you're, you're, you're helping create a path for consumers who are credit invisible or light credit, get on a path to to get them towards a place where they can be ready to participate in in the home ownership uh, you know cycle. And um, again, there's no quick fix. You know, I think uh, the average loan officer typically doesn't have the the patience to endure the time it takes for someone to get themselves ready. And I think platforms like eCredible are a way for uh, originators to extend their engagement with their prospective customers in a meaningful way and give them a path that like it could take months, could, could take a year depending on the, the individual. And, and like I said, the average 
originator is not going to, you know, engage uh, on their own that way. And I think technology like like eCredible really helps extend that that relationship and engagement. Well, uh, it, it does. And when you combine eCredible with FinLocker, um, now you really cover the entire credit spectrum. And so you think about what we're doing. Um, I'm very involved with a lot of non non nonprofits um, that are focused on helping um, first time home buyers. And you know, first time home buyers are the most difficult because buying a home is complex. Um, there's a lot of things they don't understand. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a lot of surprises that can occur along their home buying journey that are uh, that are very unpleasant. Um, and so one of the things that we love about Finlocker is that you can take a consumer, maybe they're, they could be two years away from buying a home, and that's okay, because now we have a platform and a process and a tool that can guide them on that home buying journey and doing it in a very constructive way, where we're educating them, we're holding their hand, we're avoiding the surprises, it's good for the homeowner, it's good for the real estate agent, it's good for the mortgage broker, it's just good for everybody involved. And so um, that's what we love about FinLocker is uh, for, for the home buyer, no matter where they are, if they're two weeks away or two years away, um, we can help that person do it right. I love it. So Steve's here dropping, uh, dropping news to the industry that uh, we're, FinLocker and eCredible are, are beginning to work together on something that we think as well on our side, it's going to be super powerful. Um, you know, it's going to extend the capabilities that our clients at FinLocker, who are primarily mortgage lenders, uh, we're giving them another tool in the, in the toolkit to help more consumers. Um, super excited about the, the things we're doing together. Um, we're going to we're going to definitely come back on here, uh, you know, probably later in the summer, early fall and, and go a little bit deeper because we'll be much farther along. But um, couldn't be more uh, excited about the, the partnership and the opportunities together. Absolutely. And so as uh, we just a, a, little, a little tease there, I, I didn't want to spill all the, all yeah, the, I love it. Spill all the eggs, but there's more to come. So as we, uh, as we wrap up our, our conversation, Steve, um, this has been super helpful. It, I think um, folks are going to, first of all, for the, the mortgage industry is going to be like, Hey, we, we need to learn a bit, a little bit more about, E-credible and what they're doing. So, a um, couple things I'll ask you to, to do as we close. One, you know, how do people find you and, and learn about E-credible? Of course, if they're already talking to Finlocker, we're going to be connecting the dots as well. Um, but then also, outside of all the the great things you've done in your career and and the, the wonderful things you're doing with with your current company, who who is Steve and, and what do you do? Uh, what, what's cool about you outside of, of work that, that you'd like people to know about? We'll start with how we find you and, and get in touch with you. Sure. So uh, our website is ecredible.com. That's spelled E-C-R-E-D-A-B-L-E.com. And you'll go to ecredible.com and we have, we actually, do we technically have two websites, one for the consumer and one for the small business owner. We do very similar things for small business owners that we do for consumers. Um, so, you know, me, you know, without just saying, hey, I love my family, do everything my family. I have two boys I'm <laughs> incredibly proud of. I, I love those guys to death. They're now 24 and 22. Uh, my personal passion is probably cars. I'm, I'm a car guy. Um, I went to high school in Stuttgart, Germany, which is the home of Mercedes and Porsche. And so at a very young age, got hooked on German cars and performance cars and um, have been a, a Porsche fanatic for a very, very long time. 
And uh, I love Formula One racing, just about any kind of racing. Ah. Uh, but that's that's kind of my big thing. If there's a Formula One race within a thousand miles, I'm there. Uh, been to a lot of Formula One races in Germany, and just just love the car scene. I think it's fantastic. So you probably uh, watched the, uh, the the Formula One series on Netflix. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, every minute of it. That is really well produced, <laughs> well done, and. Uh, I'm a Formula One junkie, and I learned a lot from that that, that I didn't know. So I thought I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy the every now and again kind of peeking in on the the Formula One. I'm not a car guy. I my the extent of me being a car guy is when I sit in there and turn the key if it starts and it gets me from point A to point B or C. I'm happy. Um, but I, but that Formula One series is now on my short list because everybody I've talked to, whether they're Car aficionados or not, have said it's just a phenomenal look at the kind of the the real the, the behind the scenes reality of, of Formula One racing. Yeah, there, there's there's a spectacular exhibition of technologies we all know, but I'll, I'll leave you with one stat that that the first time I heard it just blew my mind is that the typical Formula One car can go from zero to sixty to zero in three seconds. <laughs> not not zero to sixty, yeah. zero to sixty to zero. Zero in three seconds. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of power. Yeah. Well, Steve, this was awesome. Thank you so much for for joining. Um, again, super uh, appreciative and excited about our partnership and opportunity, and looking forward to uh, to bringing more uh, more details uh, to the market here very soon. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Uh, and, and all of you uh, listeners and the audience, thanks again for joining uh, FinTech Fridays. We'll see you next week.